DevOps. Psh, who wants to talk about that? Not me. Pam. I want to talk about DevOps because I think that we probably have differing opinions on it. Mm. I was actually going to ask you about the JavaScript conference you went to. Are you going to ask me Midwest? Oh, Midwest was great. Yeah. I mean, I was a little bummed to miss it on Steel City, but I'd already committed to Midwest. Uh, and so it was in Minneapolis. That was my first time ever in Minneapolis. It was pretty adorable. I rode bike share. It was great. And mm. it, pretty much all of the talks were fantastic. There was not a single talk where I was, you know, where I was not happy with it. Is there anything that you were excited about after the conference? So, I, I mean, one of my picks is one of the libraries that someone gave a talk on at the conference. So I'll talk about that during picks. But in general, it was it was just a really nice level. And also, I was just very happy because I gave my uh, zero to testing talk. And I was really stoked to, like a week before the conference, when I was looking at the final schedule, I swear, like, no one no one has actually agreed with me on this. But I, I swear, like, in my brain that there was a point where I was one of the only testing talks. So I was like, maybe me and maybe somebody else, if that. And then, you know, I check a week before, and suddenly there's a testing track. And I think that's fantastic that there's a testing track at a JavaScript conference. So, and generally, and in general, that many of the talks even that weren't on the testing track, they did, you know, if they were talking about a library, they specifically mentioned testability and testing. So I was pretty excited to see that since that was my my topic that I was speaking on. What was your most memorable experience or talk? I mean, I think the most memorable experience that I, I told you all about in chat was meeting meeting one of our fans. And so that was really exciting. So people actually listen to the podcast, which is really cool. Yeah, and man. he also and he also gave a really good talk too. So mm. extra bonus. We also met a fan, played resistance. You did? Yeah, we played the board At game Steel Resistance. City? Yeah. And we lied to him because that's what you do in resistance. What's resistance? It's a game like Mafia or Werewolf where there's uh spies on your team but you don't know who they are. So the goal of the game is to figure out who they are. So it involves lying to people. Mm. That sounds like really good team building Len. Totally. And after uh Pam met the person that listens to the podcast, uh we were inspired to order stickers. So did that happen? Yeah. Oh my god. That's <laughs> it awesome. should be here in a week or so. That is insane. We're starting on a on a slippery slope though, because now we'll have to like have a store on the website. And... <laughs> so you can no, just send your uh, self addressed stamped envelope to PO box. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes, can we do that? That yeah. is how we should hand out stickers. That would be the best. <laughs> and if you if you send your self addressed stamped envelope to our PO box with like a cool letter inside or something, you get two stickers. Nice. Maybe we could do a zine too. Maybe we could just use Promptworks as our PO box. No, can't use the consultancy. We have to have our own P.O. box so that we can pick like a cool number if that's possible. Can you do that with P.O. boxes like you can do with like telephone numbers? Is there is there is there is there there like Google Voice but for P.O. box? Is that a thing? (laughs) We invented another service. That's that's got to be a thing. I know that there are services, you know, have you heard about this? That there are services where you you redirect your mail to the service. And then, or like you can do it, especially like for any like list you sign up for, because then they scan and email you an image of your mail. And then you can request your mail if you want the hard copy, but they'll just send you a digitized copy. I have no idea what it's called, but I know it is a thing. Yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. Speaking of services, a little feed up, feed, ah, uh, a little follow up from last week. Uh, We thought we invented code reviews as a service. And then Jervon saw a tweet promoting devinput.io, which is exactly that code reviews as a service do they have like a pricing or anything 
Uh, they haven't launched yet. I think he just came up with the idea, and I was like, I'm going to buy the domain. And oh, man. It literally just says it. code reviews as a service on the, dra- on the landing page. <laughs> yeah. Literally. And then it's just an email box to find out about more. I'm trying to figure out if stamps.com has P.O. boxes. I don't see them. Anywho. Stamps.com is like the real USPS, right? No, it's a... They're an approved licensed vendor, but they are... Uh, they have a lot of ads on other podcasts that are like, if you hate the post office, try stamps.com. Oh. Hmm. Speaking of, uh, Brian Helmkamp from Code Climate gave a really good talk at Steel City about um, if you went to basically like launching a uh, B2B or B2C service and said, if you are looking for a market, look for uh, a product or, or a company that everybody hates and then make one that they don't hate. So his example was... Uh, he was like, who here likes GoDaddy? And nobody raised their hand. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not supposed to say that. Shh. It's okay. It's a, uh, what's the word? Parody? Len, beep that out. Wait, that you can't use wait, wait, like wait. a real brand name? I do not understand the dilemma. Yeah, uh, he was. I don't know if he was serious or not, but he was like, oh, since this is not recorded, I can say things that <laughs> I would say. People do avoid using the word GoDaddy, but I think that might be because of the other DNS services. Like I know Hover sponsors a lot of podcasts, and they'll be like mentioning the other DNS provider that you all hate, but they'll never say its name. Not never oh, clear why well, that is. That might just be because of the the any press is good press rule. Oh uh, yeah. So if you're advertising, you know, if you're advertising for one service and you mention the competitor, people will still probably go check out the competitor just to at least look at them. And so that might not be in the advertiser's best interest. That makes sense. So yeah, stamps.com because the post office sucks. His talk's really good overall. He he was talking about how um making a jump from Basically, you have certain uh, income streams that are like you have a full-time employment, so you have one income stream. And then as you get farther to the other end of the spectrum was a social network. So you have like 500 million people paying you very, very tiny amounts of money over time through advertising. So he was saying like it's easier to be a B2B company than a B2C company. And it's easier to go from like full-time employment to freelancing. And he was talking about like how to make the jumps from each Full-time employment to freelancing to B2B to B2C. It's kind of cool. Inspiring even. What are your thoughts on SteelCityLand? You happy you went? Yeah, I thought it was a great size conference. Just the fact that it was not big enough that people like kind of broke up into clicks. It felt like everyone was hanging out with everybody else, which was really awesome. And I liked that the organizers just built in a lot of socializing time. So there'd never be more than two talks in a row. Lots of half-hour, 15-minute breaks. It was really cool. Yeah, I found that less stressful this year. Maybe because I was used to it. But I also, yeah. Stressful from like pressure to talk to people? Yeah. Maybe it was the venue too, because we went, we all went outside and you had two options for going outside. Or I also oh, yeah. remembered a lot more people this year. I was like, hey, you remember me? Yeah. Oh, it was interesting because, uh, previous years it had a large ballroom set up where there were circle tables and everybody was kind of comfortable sitting down with the laptop open. And then this year, it was in a theater with really, really tight seats. So it kind of sucked for sitting. But the the upside was after every talk, everybody got up and, and left and like socialized and then came back in. Uh, so it kind of forced people to get up and move around because the chairs sucked. So pro tip for conference organizers, have uncomfortable chairs. I guess so. <clears throat> That's what fast food restaurants do. I think they're called five-minute chairs. 
They're purpose. They're, they're literally purposely not comfortable, so you don't mill around. You know, we do that in our house. We have all of our uncomfortable chairs in our like front room that that guests come sit, so they don't stay too long. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm only supposed to sit in here for an hour, and then you're supposed to leave. So, were there any talks at Steel City about DevOps? Um. Yeah. Well, Seth Vargo from Chef gave a talk about open source. Uh, I guess social and. Uh, other issues with it. Um, he's from Chef, company formerly known as Opscode, but I don't think there were any like DevOps specific talks. I don't think so either. So that was a failed segue. Well, before we get <laughs> into that, I, I do want to talk about one other talk. Was um, Jessica Kerr's talk at the end of the conference? Uh, she talked about generative or property based testing in Ruby, uh, essentially where instead of we write unit tests, right, where we have a we, we generate input for a, a function or an object or a method or whatever, and then we we assert that it outputted the right thing. And essentially, generative testing is you create random input, and then you say, when I give it random input, it should still have these properties afterwards. Um, and it helps find um, bugs and edge cases and... Also, I think I think the moral of it was like it it forces you to think about what your code does as a more abstract level, like what what properties and behaviors does your does your application or code have? Not necessarily like if I give this very specific input, what happens? I thought that was really cool, and I want to see the property based testing ecosystem in Ruby grow. Is that so? The there's thing? there's yeah. a framework to do that kind of thing. There's a couple. Um, the one that she gave a demonstration of was Rantly. Rantly is a framework for um, it, it's a framework for for telling something else to generate random input, and then and then and then defining properties about the output. But it doesn't actually generate the input, I don't think, or maybe it does. But she didn't like how that worked, so she also wrote her own generators for the conference that are um, supposedly more composable and easier to use in a property based testing scenario. I think that was called Generatron. But I think I think the slides or maybe an example repo is on her GitHub. So that was definitely my favorite talk of the conference. So can we get a definition of DevOps? Oh man, I like the Wikipedia's definition. I can read it. Okay, so you already knew the answer. That was a leading question. <laughs> uh, I was I was going to respond with with what people who don't like DevOps would define DevOps as. Go for it. It's the buzzword so that management can make developers do all of the work. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point. Yeah, what it means which to is, me, yeah. Yeah, which is what I don't, I don't like, like I, I'm actually okay with the term DevOps. I don't completely hate it, but I, I don't think it's that. For me, it's a uh, Git push Heroku. <laughs> Javon, do you want to give the Wikipedia definition? Sure. <clears throat> DevOps, a portmanteau of development and operation, is a software development method that stresses communication, collaboration, and integration between software developers and information technology operation professionals. I agree, yeah. I, I think for me, it, it is kind of all about automation and removing, like, knowledge silos and, you know, like, configuration as code to, to some degree at the organization level, not necessarily like a development team or a, a single applications workflow. Like, no, no, no one person in your company should be you know, like the bus factor of information and you shouldn't have to go through a a human to to accomplish something that could be automated. So I like, think of it in yeah. the, I, if I were to put it in a sentence, it's that if you have a process that has repeatable steps, 
then it should be an automated process. Yes, I would agree with that. And that's, that's almost not even, you know, I, I, it could be that eventually we evolve beyond the term DevOps. So I take some issue with the Wikipedia definition because it completely ignores QA. Like it doesn't mention quality control. And I think that that's pretty unfair because when we do talk about automation, part of the pieces of automation is running our automated tests and, you know, theoretically setting up systems so that you can run functional tests on an automated schedule, things like that. I think maybe like, I think you can still have, I I used to think that you didn't need QA with a good test suite, but I think that QA is absolutely necessary, especially for exploratory testing. And they are also, they need to know about the DevOps kind of processes. Yeah. And and maybe like QA in in a DevOps world or company is more about, you know, automating notification of QA that a build is ready, automating their ability to um, release a build to the next stage, whether it's like pre-production or production or beta or whatever, so that, you know, you're not sending emails like, hey, QA, this build is ready, or like, hey, you know, push this build to production now, the QA is done with it. Um, it's more about like letting them do their job without any restraints. Like as a, as a QA engineer or uh, tester, I should have the ability to take the most recent known good build from development and and QA it. And then when I'm done, I should be able to tell the next part of the pipeline that this part is good or is not and why. I think I think a lot of stuff with QA is still very, very manual in a lot of companies. So how would you describe the person that builds tools for is he a DevOps engineer or like there's the developer then there's the operations person? Then there's the developer that builds tools to help both of them communicate or help them to automate whatever they need to. So the, so the one possible uh, possible cliche in in DevOps uh, community is if you have a DevOps team, you're doing it wrong. Um, that said, I have seen companies where it has been fairly successful to have a DevOps team, but instead of um, instead of actually doing the work, they're more uh, evangelizing and embedding themselves in teams and helping those teams get up to speed. Like at the end, if, if your DevOps team is successful, they should, you know, disintegrate themselves in a year or two. They shouldn't have to stay around forever. So in this company, what, who was in the DevOps team or what did the DevOps team do? Um, well, you know, like I said, like they, they did evangelizing in the company. They did training um, and they kind of wrote tools or helped other departments write tools to facilitate the workflow that, that the company decided they wanted to do. So I am very, very bad at, at DevOps and system administration. And for me, the hard part of trying to learn something like Chef is that you muddle, well, Chef is particularly confusing with the number of pieces in the tool chain, but uh, I feel, felt like I would just start getting a grasp on it and I would, you know, build uh, recipes to make the machine that I needed and then I'd be done and not touch it for, you know, months. And then months later, everything changed. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like Chef in particular, like the recipes are your your infrastructure's configuration as code, and as code, it needs you know maintenance over time, and your abstractions matter, and hard coding things is bad. Uh, so yeah, I if you break something, you should consistently break it across your entire implementation. Yeah, and you should be using you know f- so in a continuous delivery or whatever or. Um, or I'll say like the word immutable deployments. Like if you are every time you deploy, you are using that chef that chef code to deploy your server. Then as soon as it breaks, then you will know that it broke. 
I think Leonard's just talking about. Um, well, it sounded like he was saying like he used HFRSP to build a server and they didn't touch it for six months. Right. It was pretty much just the, the <laughs> development machine. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say it's just development. So I mean that that kind of sounds like the issue of I mean you're you're doing engineering and you didn't have anyone. I mean you were the person who was responsible for operations, and so that kind of reminds me of. My, our, well, every, everybody on this podcast knows uh, our buddy Chad Ostrowski, uh, who's a member of the Philly RB YouTube group, who wrote a Why You Shouldn't Use Vagrant, Real Talk from a Vagrant, Vagrant Burnout, which, you know, he did a good job with the title, but it really is about that you start with, you, you start as a developer and then you're, you say to yourself, let's go, let's go DevOp, let us DevOp together. <laughs> and you do something like Vagrant or Chef. And you jump right into these things that are actually, you know, they're they're accessible, but at the same time, they're actually really advanced because you don't, if you jump into them without having that kind of sysadmin background, you really don't, you know, you don't have the understanding of how the internals work for when stuff really goes wrong. So that does that sound kind of familiar to your frustrations? That's that's been my frustrations when I when I try to dev up is I don't have the context of, you know, years of being a sysadmin or even I've only had to babysit a server so many times in my life. Then very rarely has it been here as a server on the rack and it is completely blank and you have no tools to build anything on it. That's happened maybe never actually. Right. So I can't take a blank. I personally cannot take like a completely, completely blank box without using any anyone else's you know, at least some kind of thing to put something on it that I can use to go grab packages and things like that. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of work and infrastructure to get to the point where things are automated and easy enough for anybody to hop in and start modifying things at, at, oh. at an organization level, at least. And it's, I haven't read the article. Uh, maybe this is not related to the article, but I think getting into those tools is definitely uh, difficult and can cause frustration, but they are useful for certain size apps and I guess I don't know, it feels wrong to say not to use this workflow because it didn't work for me. You know, like it's definitely difficult to get into how Vagrant works or how to provision a VM with Chef. Yeah, I guess just like as as developers, at least like I would say server side developers maybe, or, or even like I guess front end developers deal with like command line and bash and get and everything like it seems like you need some tool to replicate your environment um, closer to production than your laptop. Um, people use Vagrant or Docker or, you know, I was at a company that we used. Um, we didn't use Vagrant. We used something similar called Test Kitchen. Um, but we didn't actually run it locally. We ran it on a remote EC2 instance. So every time you, like, spun up your development environment, it was actually spun up remotely. Um, but Test Kitchen can use Vagrant, right? Yeah, it can. Do you want to say what Test Kitchen is? Uh, I don't think actually Test Kitchen uses Vagrant. I think it uses VirtualBox. But yeah, Test Kitchen is a essentially an automated test runner for for testing your application or infrastructure across multiple operating systems. So it's very popular in the Chef space with cookbooks because cookbooks need to support multiple platforms. So instead of saying like Vagrant up and Vagrant provision and getting, you know, your box provisioned, instead you tell Test Kitchen, I want to test against Ubuntu 13.10 and 14 whatever. And I had the chef recipe. And oh, by the way, here are some 
either bash or our spec tests that assert that the system got in the state that I wanted it to be. And it will in parallel or it can, it can in parallel, um, build all those servers and then assert they all got built correctly. And then by default, when it's done, it destroys all of them. I actually use test kitchen for a command line utility that I wrote. Um, because when I push it up to Travis bash behaves slightly differently on, Ubuntu, uh, on Linux versus Mac, at least the version I'm, I'm using. So I have a little test kitchen, um, test kitchen set up in this open source project that, that tests my CLI against multiple operating systems. Travis handles that for you. Travis handles running it against Linux, but I wanted to run it against Linux locally and I use a Mac. Okay. And I wanted to run it against multiple Linux instances, such as Ubuntu and CentOS. So why should a developer care about DevOps? Or not care, but maybe get familiar with the space or the tooling? I don't know. Why should a developer care about anything besides writing code? It's <laughs> a good question. Yeah, I, I think that, like, I guess, like, the uh, the scenario that people use as an example for what DevOps solves is like, oh, like this worked on my machine. Now it's ops problem or ops like has a problem and it's like, it doesn't work in production, shows it back to development. We don't know what's wrong. Go fix it. So there used to be like the idea of, you know, throwing the code over the wall and then now it was somebody else's problem. So I guess DevOps at like an organization level in relation to an application's deployment cycle is about like every team being involved with like how this gets to production and works in production and not necessarily having silos of like my responsibility is to write code and now somebody else has to figure out why it doesn't work over there. Yeah, I guess at a company with an operations person, the developer doesn't really need to know about Chef. He just needs to know how to make the app or how to code for DevOps ready uh, deployment, right? You agree? So instead of using like a hard-coded URL for a service, Use maybe environment variables or like a config file or. Well, I don't think that's related to DevOps. I mean, it's obviously your code's going to be deployed somewhere else. But DevOps is a it's a different way of thinking, also. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's like the best practices that we take from software development, like you know, good abstractions and you know, not hard coding things everywhere or anywhere, uh, and have them be instead variables we can tweak on the fly so that we can change things as we need to, like. Or, or, or storing things in version control and having code review. Like these are things that also apply at the DevOps level or in, the, in terms of like deployment automation with Chef or another tool. Like you can apply those things to those tools as well. If anybody's listening to this and they're in a small company, just use Heroku. It's so awesome. I mean, to be fair, we're OpenShift. We are not a sponsored podcast. They can use whichever Heroku one they want. Heroku or OpenShift. Um, but I will say some of the features that Heroku supports that OpenShift may may support. Uh, I don't know from experience. But, you know, you, you push your code. Get push. You, yeah, well, yeah. It, does, it does the same stuff. And it's free right now. So you push your code. And then at Heroku, you get a release number. So now you have the ability to roll back your deployment at any time without pushing again if anything breaks. Whenever you change a configuration variable, such as, you know, your database or Redis URL or how many workers or, or concurrent, you know, unicorn processes you're running, whenever you change an environment variable, it is another deploy. So every time that you change anything about your app, you can always roll those changes back. Yeah, because um, it's just a Git repo. Yeah, but, but also the, the configuration variables also are, are roll backable to reversible. Um, 
you can provision uh, a database or add-ons very easily. You don't need to worry about backing it up or you should worry about backing it up, but they can take care of that for you too. Um, also, a more recent feature of Heroku that I like in the um, DevOps sense is promotions. So you can have you can have multiple environments on Heroku, and like we talked about earlier, like you know, developers create a build and it goes to the development environment, and then at some point, QA wants to take that build and put it into QA and QA it, so they can do that by promoting the Heroku environment from development to QA. And then when QA is done with it, they can promote QA to production with just a single command line, or or you could build a tool around their their promotion API. Um, one thing I was going to say, and I forgot. I mean, I'm okay with you being done selling Heroku. <laughs> <laughs> OpenShift may support all these things too. So I, I, I actually still, I went yeah. on a on a, a side thing, and I went and searched my blog for anything I'd written about DevOps. Have you all written about DevOps before? We went over this. I'm not a writer. <laughs> uh, I don't do DevOps. So okay, that was that was disappointing. <laughs> so what did you write? So mine's from from last year, and I think I was doing the. I guess my writing. It looks like back then my writing strategy was trying to to write the answer to the question of what is DevOps. And so the the few headings I have is about intersection development operations. Da, 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 da. Uh, virtual machines, and then going into some of the the hotness of Vagrant. So at the time last year, of like the kind of the standards, and there still are, but uh, Vagrant and configuration management, and uh, continuous deployment, build processes, Jenkins build bot, and then actually, did I? I don't know if I did. I, I sure I should have written a blog post about this, or I should have tagged it with DevOps. But remember. A month or two ago, Justin, when I was bothering you to help me with Travis CI. Yeah. So I'm going to now tag that post DevOps <laughs> because I think that that counts. So, oh, it is. Well, so and and I know I totally just took it on my own personal tangent, but I think that at least the example of doing that when I got that obsession of like, I need to set up Travis CI in this, it was because I was working with other people on this website. And I was the bottleneck for deploying because I, even though I was all the way to using a, using an OpenShift instance, so just a Git push type deployment, I was very, it was frustrating because they had to ask me to deploy and that was silly. So I wanted to do Travis CI so that when they pushed, merged to master would deploy to Travis via Travis. So. Yeah, one thing I don't think we, <clears throat> that I wanted to mention in a previous Talk about continuous delivery or our workflow. I forget what the title of that one was, but um, the thing I forgot to mention was, or, or the point I forgot to make was that, like, the, the point of all this is to be able to make any change, like, enable any person to make a change that they can then verify works and they can deploy that change to production with uh, a lower amount of risk. So, like, if you, if yes, you're, if that's you're, a, that's, if you're I was exactly going to say mitigate risk is yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the phrase you want, that business wants. You want to you want to reduce the friction that anybody in your organization can contribute to something, and then also reduce the amount of risk that they and the company incur when that change is made. Can you talk about how DevOps reduces that risk? Just make having everything be automated makes makes it repeatable. Well, and if something goes wrong, you don't have to rely on a person to roll back the problem, right. like to roll back to a previous instance, essentially. And then as a side effect, if you're doing so this... So that mitigates risk. So you don't have to wait for someone to be awake or at work or anything to 
to yeah, roll back. That, yeah, and then it's like as a side effect of that, like if you have everything automated and it's so easy to make a change, hopefully you'll make smaller changes to production more often, and then you have a lower amount of risk because there's less change in every deploy. Like, like, would you rather deploy, you know, three commits with bugs in them or 100 commits with bugs in them? 100. Oh, yeah? No, I'm just kidding. And then you roll back and you're like, I don't know what broke, but something in the last month. So I was reading an article of what um, DevOps ready means, and they give three criterias. DevOps ready? Yeah, as an organization. So I don't mm-hmm. think, a, I think people associate developers with, DevOps too much. I think it's more for an organization thing. Because I can agree it, with that. Since it's yeah. a collaboration between two, two teams. Yeah, that is not just developers. I think developers really want it. Yeah. Because it makes it, it's the stuff that makes our work a lot easier to do. But operations should hopefully want it too. So I'm going to read these three things and let me know if you guys want to add to it or disagree with it. Do you as a developer have access to troubleshooting information in real time? Uh, do your production environment use tests and other tools from the development team to validate that the production environment is working? And third, or three, as a developer, do you view the networking team as your partner? So if he answered yes to all of those. The networking team? I'm guessing he means operations. Well, in, in a large enough company, there probably is a networking team. <laughs> yeah. so. That sounds good, but also it sounds like a bunch of marketing dribble from a DevOps company or something. I don't know. Yeah. These blog posts, man. You can't trust blog posts. (laughs) Or writers. Read my white paper. Just give me your email address. We could write a white paper. (laughs) If you send a self-addressed stamped envelope and a dollar, you'll not only get a sticker, you'll also get a white paper. Read our white paper about why you shouldn't read white papers. What if if we did that and then we literally, I mean, this would spoil the gag, but we could just send back a piece of white paper. (laughs) So, spoiler, people who send in your your dollar, I will send you a piece of white paper. All right. But you mentioned two dollars, and it'll have a giraffe on it. That reminds me, there used to be like eBay scams where the title would say Xbox box, and then someone would pay like three hundred dollars, and they'd get the box of the Xbox. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Only Microsoft fans would do that. You could edit that. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> I'm leaving it in. <sighs> um. But, Justin, you said uh, in your last comment that organizations of a certain size will have a networking team. So definitely organizations of a different size will have different definitions to DevOps, right? Like one. It's just like if you are a single person or a partnership working on a web app, you probably don't have, like, you you wear many hats in a smaller company. And then as a company grows larger, you have specialized teams. So it sounds like by saying networking team that they are specifically talking about a company large enough to have people that do nothing but networking. And in some companies, like, networking is a real problem. Like, like, oh, I need these ports open between these two services. Let me put in a change request and wait a week for it to happen. But do you think that a lot of the DevOps knowledge currently focuses on companies of, of a certain size and then Smaller people try to, or no. smaller teams try. No, actually, I think the opposite. I think that smaller teams are are building these tools and evangelizing the. I think, I think smaller teams are more forward thinking, and they are creating these processes in these tools. And I mean, large organizations know, over time are are adopting them. I wouldn't necessarily say it like that. It's that a large organization runs like far sooner in a process. Do they run into a very number of things uh, ranging from 
are you trying to automate away my job to I you didn't hire me to do that. So why are you completely changing what I was hired to do? If someone in operations was hired to go and artisanally craft servers and you tell them that now they have to write configuration code, that's completely different. So if you're asking the same person to do a new thing, then you have a a challenge to deal with. Agree, disagree? I agree. I think DevOps, I mean, configuring servers, like you said, is way different than, you know, organizing and understanding code. Hey, guess what? I have to go. So I'm going to automate away my pick. <laughs> I'm going to pick Haskell and Len's going to talk about it. And I'll see you guys next week. See you, Justin. Bye, Bye Justin. So do we want to continue with picks or any uh, last yeah. DevOps words? We can do picks. Let's um, do picks. DevOps is probably like a multi, multi uh, episode. Yeah, multi episode topic. So in the future, we'll but probably come back to the, it. The tricky thing would be, I guess we'd have to figure out what the subtopics would be. I mean... Well, we didn't talk about tooling at all. Yeah, I was going to say, I might fall asleep if we do configuration management as a topic. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, if you all want to do it, we could do it. Anywho, picks. So, Pam, what's your pick? So, I'm going to pick the the Genie JS library because I think that it was a really cool thing that a really uh, nice dude showed off at Midwest JS. So, if you... So, I think, actually, even... Was it last week or one of the other weeks? I think, Jervon, your pick was Alfred. So this is Alfred for the browser. Oh, really? I'm going to have to check this out. Yeah. So, but I mean, implemented on whatever website you're on. So a website would implement Genie.js, and then it would be a, a a way that you could navigate a website. Okay. Cool. Pretty neat. And then I have a link drop as well from the, well, probably it's not necessarily the pick. It'll just be in our conversation links. But when I said that I will draw you an awful draft on a, a part of our white paper, if you pay the premium rate of $2 <laughs> for the white paper, I will draw a draft on it. And there is this funny old blog called Pretty Awful Drafts that is that are drafts written by various people. Nice. So drafts drawn <laughs> by, like, Tammy Baldwin drew a draft. And uh, so they just asked people to draw drafts. And people can't draw giraffes. It's really funny. Terrible giraffes sound awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> drop it in the link in the link drop. Len, do you got a pick? Yeah. Uh, so at Steel City this week, uh, there are a few talks on Review Motion, and I took the plunge and bought it. And I'm really enjoying writing iOS apps and not dealing with Xcode. So Ruby Motion uh, lets you write iOS apps in Ruby and compile to native bytecode uh, to ship both uh, OS X and iOS apps. And uh, it's really fun putting things on my iPhone written in Ruby only in the terminal. So and, my pick is Ruby Motion and Android too, right? In the future. In the future. It's in beta right that now. Ruby Motion is Android. Yeah, that was a big reveal in Seal City. Uh, Ruby Motion 3.0 is going to support Android. Crazy sauce. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Javon, do you have a pick? Yeah. Um, so I have three picks. First music <laughs> is a music pick, which is uh, the Jay Z album for the MTV Unplugged series. Good album. Uh, second pick is Resistance, the board game. I always have fun like that game. I don't know why. Well, I guess I know why because it's game. a fun game. Yeah, and lying is awesome. Um, <laughs> yes, and lying is awesome. Um, and then the third is go to a conference, um, any conference, and have fun with your coworkers and the people at the conference. Cool. Those are my picks. So show notes are at uh, Turing.cool/slash/16. Follow us on Twitter at Turing Cool. 
And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. And we'll get you a P.O. box to send <laughs> your self-address. Bye. <laughs> See you guys. All right, later, y'all.